I need to hear that paper count. Paper count. I gotta hear that paper count. Paper count. Warren Sharp is in the building. Love that. In the building. Yeah. All right, just another shout out to Rod Simba for that beat. Fucking awesome. Warren and I, we work hard so that you guys can be smart. Rod Simba works hard so that we can start this off with some fucking energy. Warren walked in today and he said, let's fucking kill it today. And I said, all we do is stack bodies. <laughs> that was a little bit too much. Um, I did tell you, though, Brian Westbrook's opinion about chocolate and peanut butter. And I've never seen you that upset before. Yeah, it's it's I mean, we can say what we want on this podcast. Yeah, it's free and open airwaves. Yeah, it's a fucking terrible take. <laughs> and the combination of chocolate and peanut butter is more pure than most marriages. I'll yeah, just put it that way. So I it it really gave me a lot of pause when he said it. But I like being around people that have weird opinions. That's one of the weirdest I've ever heard. I didn't know people actually could think that way. I, I do know some people don't like peanut butter right. purely because I think the texture or some people might not like the taste. You know, obviously there's kids that are allergic to it. Yes. So that's a problem. Uh, but I if you're not yeah. allergic to it and you are okay with the texture, I think the taste is great. And you combine it with chocolate. I mean, yeah. I, I don't get it. Um, I want to kind of give you guys a little look behind the curtain because this is what me and Warren have been doing for the last few weeks. Wednesday nights at around 10 o'clock, uh, we talk on the phone. We're supposed to talk for about 30 minutes. We end up talking for an hour and a half. And really what we're doing is we're doing the podcast before the podcast. And the reason is, is we will, in that discussion, discover things that are actually kind of valuable and really interesting to clean them up and deliver to you guys today. Because we know when it comes to looking at your lines and, and whether you're making wagers or you're in some contests, we want to make sure we're getting to like really interesting information. And I think we're both excited because we stumbled on some things that we're going to get to later about teams coming off of buys and home field advantage that really go against the norms of, of people thinking, and I'm excited to get to that. Um, but I, I feel like you have an energy about, not about the card this week, but about some of the philosophies in week five that are you hitting your groove? Are, are your models starting to give you some numbers where you're feeling really confident right now? Well, okay. The models are hitting a groove yeah. and, and we're getting more and more data. So you stack the data, you stack the data and you have a little bit more confidence, but I am frustrated at the same time. So I'm upbeat, but I'm also frustrated. Why are you I'm, frustrated? I'm frustrated about the number of two, two reasons. First of all, the schedule makers put 10 games at one o'clock, only two games. Like, Again. Nonsense. I mean, first of all, you got a London game, right? Move right. the London game to 10 a.m. I know it's the Oakland Raiders are playing in oh, it. So maybe that's doing, They're not doing the 10 a.m.? No, they put the London at one. With all the other nine I games. thought that everybody was complaining, and I was like, it's actually nine. We're getting the London game in the morning, which is one of the best treats. Nice cup of coffee. You watch the Raiders get their shit kicked in. I didn't realize they're playing it at one. No, and, and and then we only have one four o'clock kick and one four twenty five kick. It's it, ridiculous. There's so I get I get, you know, my yeah. huge theater downstairs with the one big screen TV yeah. that has like all the boxes on the eight eight box for direct TV and you can only fit eight. So then I have to stick the two other games on the side TVs, yeah. which I'm built to handle this. Like right. I'm this is what I'm built for. But I like rotating one extra game over off the issue is even one o'clock the issue is at four o'clock if dead if cowboys packers isn't a good game what the fuck like we're just we're stuck there watching that okay is that the only reason you're upset uh that's one and the second reason is because 
of all these backup quarterbacks in the games and the coaches philosophies about the backup. So it's, it's twofold. You don't just have the quarterbacks themselves who tend to be a little bit worse and aren't as efficient, right. but you also have the coaches that decide to do things less efficiently and operate differently. They get really conservative, get very conservative. And we're going to talk about a, a game that we saw on Monday night football with the Pittsburgh Steelers yeah. and the strategy they took. And then what might happen this week against the Ravens, but that was a prime example of a team that just went uber conservative with a quarterback, a less experienced quarterback in there. He's not even a rookie. He's just a less experienced one. Uh, it's it's unbelievable. One little note of confidence uh, for everyone whose season hasn't started as strongly as you would have hoped. Uh, Ingber gave us this stat that last year there are 12 playoff teams. In week five last year, five of the 12 were under 500. Colts were one and four. Cowboys, Seahawks, Eagles, Texans, all at two and three. And it's just, look, whether the coaches break it down into quarters the season, whether they break it down into halves, remember, the Colts were one and four, and they won like 10, 11 games in a row. The season is not lost. It is not over. You're showing me the changing lines. Warren uh, released some information, and all of Vegas is reacting. That is the power of Warren Sharp. Do you... Is it fun being this powerful in Vegas? Or did you like it before where you were really below the radar and when you gave out a bet to everybody, nothing changed? Um, there's pros and cons to both. Sure. But it is fun because at least this way you're giving you're, you're sharing information. You see the board move. Yes. You know you're getting the best of the number. And then if the board goes too crazy and other people start piling on, you can always like buy back a little bit sure. of that position. Uh, but we'll talk about one of the games. Hopefully it will make the 4 p.m. slate that we're talking about as being terrible. There'll be a little bit more excitement. Hey, than that. Hey, yeah. hey. And the thing that I always say is um, we really want you guys – this is, this is not just about giving winners. Um, when you really look at a lot of the content on the internet right now, it's this notion that some guy is going to be really good at picking games and you're going to want to watch them because they're going to give you so many winners. And we're trying to be intelligent enough to say no one can consistently give you 70% winners all the time. That's just not how, whether you're picking sides or totals, it's not a thing that, that you can learn um, or you can get. But what we're trying to do is let you guys look at the lines yourself and learn what to focus on and what to pay attention to so that if you are out there making bets, you're going to become a better better. Don't rely on people to give you winners because they can't. Try and learn, and it'll help you enjoy the games even more. Um, we always start sharp school. Looking back at last week, what can we take away? What can we learn? The first thing is Holy Cleveland Maybe they read all of Warren Sharp's tweets because 11 personnel turned into 12 personnel, and those timely shots put a whooping on the Baltimore Ravens. And my question for you is, is this something that we can bank on Freddie Kitchens doing moving forward? And are we confident in that? Yes, I, I am. I think the Cleveland Browns were utilizing far too much 11 personnel, and Finally, they realized it. it be, I believe it was Todd Monken's influence mm. that was getting them to utilize too much 11. Right. And they weren't happy with their, you know, they didn't have great tight ends. Their health of the tight ends were yeah. problematic. But when they went back and looked at their numbers, and I was tweeting out a lot of the splits, 
they were very bad when they were passing out of 11 personnel and they were passing out of 11 personnel on 91 percent of their attempts. Those attempts delivered a 36 percent success rate, seven and a half yards per attempt. What they ended up doing against the Baltimore Ravens is going much more 12 heavy and their 11 personnel was still successful because we talked about it before. Baltimore struggles against 11 right. personnel. Three wide receivers, spread them out. They've got injuries at the DB position. Yeah. Spread them out, attack them. However, still work in some 12 because that's what Cleveland does really well. It helps give Baker Mayfield protection. Yeah. And it helps kind of calm down that pocket for him. And it worked in tremendously. Its, in its simplest form, the game that Ricky Seals Jones had is because they were in 12 personnel a lot. And it's just proof that in the NFL, the margin between a starter and a backup is not always that wide. And somebody like Ricky Seals Jones, that a lot of fantasy players bemoan how he was supposed to be a breakout guy for Arizona last year and it never happened. He's the kind of guy that can explode for like 80 yards if your team is running good personnel. Why are you confident that this will continue? Because it was successful? Because it was successful and Freddie did it last year. So because you have a track record, a of track record when he came to Cleveland, one of the biggest things that I noted was how he helped Baker a lot with the way that he ran that offense with doing a little bit better things under center right. and also with the different personnel groupings. And because he did both of those things, Baker statistically right. started to just bloom and blossom. Sure. This past season, the first few weeks, we weren't seeing any of that. We were seeing far too much vanilla 11. Yeah. And now we're doing a little bit pre-snap jump the running back from Baker's left to his right to dictate a, ma- dictate a matchup to that linebacker and then run my tight end from 12 personnel across the formation. Now Distract the linebacker him. coverages yeah. are messed up and this guy's wide open for a touchdown. Um, when you're looking then at your models and we have three weeks of Cleveland running all this 11, do you then like reset your models from here on out or do you still factor in those three weeks where they were maybe going too monk and heavy? I, I still factor it in, uh, but when I'm mentally looking at the matchups, I will take into consideration that they will probably utilize more 12 personnel gotcha. than they did, but I'm not going to modify yeah. anything. Uh, another team that won, went very 11 heavy in one of their early uh, matchups was the Eagles, and, and that was against Atlanta, and they did not have a lot of success. And then they go out against Green Bay on Thursday night, and I'm not going to lie, I'm sitting there with a Packers fan, and every time I saw Dallas Goddard on the field, I went, they're in 12, big play coming. And in the beginning, he was like, what the fuck are you talking about? And then as the game went on, he looked at me and he goes, every time you point out Goddard on the field with Ertz, Jordan Howard has a big run, or Miles Sanders has a big run. And should I be confident as an Eagles fan that this will continue because Goddard was hurt and then this is what they've always wanted to do? Is that how you read that situation as well? Absolutely. Yeah. I think that Doug Peterson, as at his core, wants to utilize more 12 personnel. They've had a lot of success with it historically in Philadelphia, yeah. and they had success with it previously when he was in Kansas City. We also see it in Indianapolis with Frank Wright, who's yes, on Doug Peterson's tree, staff, and he does Andy Doyle and Ebron. Yeah. Yep. So. Is, is Andy running a lot of 12 as well? They uh, they were running a lot of 12 last year. They went to a little bit more 11, but remember when they played the Ravens, they went a little bit more 12 heavy because of the pass rush. Who was the other tight end they put in with Kelsey? Um, 
Shit. I'm not sure. See, these are the things we didn't talk about yesterday. I'll look that up. But but about the Eagles, Eagles and the success in 12. Right. So they used 11 personnel prior to the game against Green Bay for the first three weeks. They used 11 on 80 percent of their plays and they only had a 44 percent success rate. They averaged only 3.4 yards per carry when they went to 12. Are they using Blake Bell? Is that the guy they're using? Uh, a belldozer? Yeah, I remember the belldozer from Oklahoma, right? Okay, um, but anyway. So they reduced their 11 personnel from 80% down to 53% against the Packers. Jeez. Used a lot more 12 personnel. They had a 69% success rate on those plays, and their runs averaged 6.6 yards per carry. Do you look at that as, oh, the Eagles are better in 12, or the Packers are more susceptible to 12? I went into the game knowing that the Packers are more susceptible to 12. So when I... I paid close attention to what Dallas Goddard's health status was right. and because he only played nine snaps the week before, right? So all these things, like if you're out there and you're listening to this and you're kind of like betting on games and you're just kind of, you have to pay close attention to different details like this. Like I cared just passionately that Dallas Goddard would get more than nine steps. I needed to know what his health status was. Right. It was a short week. He played not, he didn't play the week before. He injured himself in pregame warmups Insane. down in Atlanta, missed that game. He only plays nine snaps after a week of rest. And now he's going into a Thursday night game on a short week. Is he going to play a little bit more than right. nine? Is he going to be fully good to go because it's a short week? What's going to happen? Watching some of the practice status reports, listening to some of the reporters talk, right, right, right. it looked like Goddard was healthy. Goddard, would give me 12, boom, Philadelphia Eagles team total over 20 and a half. It hits in the first half. It's so funny because I went and I, I saw this mic'd up thing with Carson Wentz, and there's one part where he's standing in the end zone, and there's Ertz, and there's Goddard, and he looks at me and he goes, the band is back together. And when I hear that, and then I think about how you talk about it, that's the core of the Eagles. We could talk about Deshaun Jackson. We could talk about Alshon Jeffrey. The Eagles, much like the Colts, are a team that if they can put their two tight ends out there, they can match. Because Goddard is so good in the run game, it's unbelievable. And he's getting better. If I was going to look at the Packers then, and you just told me they're susceptible to 12, do the Cowboys run 12? Not Do they a lot. put out Witten and Jarwin together ever? No, not, not frequently. Like, Jarwin is athletic. I, so, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Okay. Something we're going to hit on later. So is that something you store away? Yes. Oh. I, I've Now that I've processed it, that in my research heading into this game, I knew that Green Bay was weak against 12. Then I knew that Philadelphia was going to use it a lot. I liked Philadelphia. Right. Then I store that in the memory bank for the next game. Yeah. Green Bay struggles against 12. Does Dallas run a lot of 12? Exactly where you're And they don't do you. it. They don't use a lot, no. Is Dallas an 11 team? Yes. So they're a big three wide receivers, and they'll put out Cobb, Amari, and Devin Smith, and they would, one of those would be a Michael Well, they got Gallup, Gallup now. Gallup is back, is back, I think. He's practice limited this Wednesday. Okay. We don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, that'll be yet. interesting. But I can imagine they like those three with Witten and Zeke. Yes. And I would imagine Green Bay is pretty fucking phenomenal against 11. Because they have the corners. Ah, and they're missing Tyron Smith. All right, I'm getting a, a stat boner. Okay, um, now let's get to, I think, the thing that we're very excited about. We established before the year that home field advantage is dead. And you have a laundry list of reasons that I think are very pragmatic about why this is the case. And we can go over it. Teams are used to crowd noise. Uh, traveling has changed so much. What, what are the other things that stick out to you about why home field advantage is not the same as it used to be? Both of those two things are extremely important. The travel thing especially Guys aren't riding in coach in the back of an airplane. They're spread out in charter jets right. and relaxing a little bit easier. There's better medical care. Um, 
uh, nutrition, recovery, all those types of things where, you know, you're going on the road, you have to leave a day and a half, two days early, you're getting there, you're in a hotel. Mm. All those things used to be uh, impediment for the road team. So if somebody's showing you their car and they go, I love a home dog, you're like, it doesn't fucking matter that much anymore. It's definitely not as what it used to be, you know, and the good thing is, you know, for the 33%, we were talking about this before the season even started. I did research and analysis, wrote an article up at Sharp Football Analysis about this very concept, about the fact that home field is not worth as much. You're going to give the numbers, but uh, the the officiating is more neutral as well. You have back in the day, back in the 80s, there's. TV coverage wasn't nearly as good. No. There was no replays. There was probably no grading of the officials, you know, so like they were swayed the by home the home crowd, home crowd. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and players are making more money. Uh, so that is going to inherently lead them to take these road trips as more of a business trip. This yeah. is going to help my statistics, my ability to earn. Whereas before it's like, oh, how we get to go to South Beach, you know, let's let's pop some bottles tonight. And yeah, there's better technology too to study analytics, game film on the road when right. you're traveling and yeah, you weren't able lost to do time. that. No. So if you look at last week, week four, uh, straight up road teams were 11 and four and you go, okay, maybe that's just one of those weeks where the road teams were better than the home teams. Thus far this season, I'm going to give you week by week how the road teams have done against the spread. Week one, 67%. Week two, 73%. Week three, 69%. Week four, 60%. The road teams have covered the spread more than 60% in all four weeks this season. And I look at you and I go, is this an anomaly? And I don't think it is. It's it's something that's been happening more and more uh, over the years. Now, this is super strong, right? It's not going to be over 60. You're not going to get road teams going over 60% ATS over the course of the season. At some point, it's going to correct itself a little bit. Uh, But this is certainly notable. And what we need to carry forward from like a learning perspective is that home field isn't what it used to be. Throw out some of these, oh, I love back in the home dogs. They cover it. This is a great rate. Yeah. Road teams are having a lot of success. Mm. So then we're talking last night, and I this is like an hour and 15 minutes into our conversation, and I go, well, what about bye weeks? Because we've had a theory on this podcast for a long time that it might lead to more rust than rest, and that's always like the dumb fucking topic bar on the bottom of a television is, will they be rusty or, or full of rest? Um, and the first thing that Warren said to me was, it all revolves around the CBA. Yes, sir. And, and explain that to people just from a, a theory perspective is what changed in 2011 with the bye week that is impacting the spreads right now? Yeah. And, and so this is where we're getting another layer into everything. In 2011, the new CBA came out and that totally impacted teams' abilities to practice, the coach's ability to kind of like control his players more. He lost some of that control. The control went to the NFLPA who bartered this deal and was able to get more time off for the players and less hitting for the players. And so this is one of the things that you must factor in when you look back at historical information Also, rules changes that doesn't apply to what we're discussing here, but it's just the concept that you can't just look back at, you know, oh, well, over the last 20 years, X is is the answer. Look at it in segments. Understand the context of what's happening. So we ran the splits from post 
CBA to like the years prior to CBA. And it's astonishing. I can't wait for you to share it. So before the CBA was signed, teams coming off of a buy against the spread. This is this is from 2005 to 2010. They covered 62, 60, 61, 63, 48, 58. So right around 60% of the time, if you came off a buy, you were winning. And their lowest year was 48% of the time they covered after a buy. Then from 2011 to 2018, the CBA goes into effect against the spread after a buy. Teams covered 48, 58, 48, 38, 59, 60, 44, 53. So they had four years that were equal to or below the lowest of what it was before the CBA was signed. And we dove in even deeper. It gets crazy. Then I was like, well, what about if a team is home after a bye? The last two years, a home team after a bye covered the spread 18% of the time. I did not stutter. I'll say it again for clarity. There were 22 games of a team playing at home after a bye, and they covered the spread four times out of 22 games. Well, Adam, that's a too small of a sample size. We went back to 2011. Home teams after a bye covered the spread 41% of the time. They went 43 and 62 well, was it different than before the CBA? You bet your ass it was. Before the CBA, home teams from 2005 to 2010, after a bye, covered the spread 62% of the time. So before the CBA went into effect, if you were home after a bye, you went from covering the spread 62% of the time to 41% of the time. When I hear these numbers, I go, holy crap, and then I turn to Warren and I go, am I making too much of this? And you went, no, this is interesting. It's very interesting because we know the slimmest margins are what wins in betting NFL. 52.4% on minus 110 juice, you're breaking even. You're not making anything off of it. You go up to the, to the pros, the pros through volume in terms of dollars and right. volume in terms of number of bets are hoping to hit 55%. That's only like a 2.4%, a 2.6% edge, right? Here we're talking about moving from a 41% up to a 62%, blowing right through the 52.4% mark, just obliterating it. It is massive. It is, it, I think it's one of the best nuggets that we've shared on yeah. this podcast so far this year. And so we're sitting there, we go, well, what happens if they're on the road? Like, what happens if you're coming off the buy on the road? And this was equally as shocking to, to me as I spit onto your shirt. The last two years after a bye, if a team is on the road, they've, they've against the spread, gone 25 and 11. 69% of the time, a team after a bye on the road has covered the spread. Well, this needs to be too small of a sample size. Let's dig into it more. We go eight years into the past, since 2011. Teams after a bye on the road are 83 and 57. 59% of the time they've covered. And before the CBA, it was just 55. And we sat there last night and went, how is it possible that teams are this much much better away from home after a bye compared to home? And we started getting practical. 
Oh, maybe they have to travel earlier in the week, so they're focused a little bit more. Maybe that buy continues a little bit too far, far, like far into it when they're home. But these are numbers that I don't want to ignore. These are numbers that I want to think about now that we're in our first week of teams coming off of a buy. That home teams after a buy, I'm probably going to put them in my card as a loser. And home team and away teams, I'm going to think about it more and go, and we have a pretty good track record here. And I don't think I'm reading too much into this. No, I always look at trends as something to assist. And they, if you already like a team, this will push you get even you further over the, in the direction. Can direction. get you to the edge, possibly, of taking them. It's not the starting point, but it is a point where you can say, you know, what are the teams this week that fall into the different buckets? And let me just. Be aware of these that are that are a little bit more cautionary, like this is not working in their favor. Yeah. And let me look at these a little bit closer because they're in a great situational spot. So, I mean, the first thing I did this week is I looked at the teams that were coming off of a bye. And the Niners are coming off of a bye and they're playing on Monday night football against the Browns. And I'm telling you, man, all week I was like, I love the Niners here. And I saw these statistics and it gave me a lot of freaking pause. You know, it's interesting. They've got the Monday night game, which means like theoretically that buy lasts even longer. Who knows if the coaches like typically a Monday night game, you know, they come back a little and bit. And I hate reading into like players' personal lives, but like I follow a lot of Niners and they've really been living it up. And then I went and looked at the other team coming off a of buy, it's the Jets. Yep. And they're going to Philadelphia. And I went, okay, well, we know teams after a buy, they haven't really been as good, but you know, away they've been a little bit better. And then I'm watching Jamal Adams get interviewed yesterday. And Jamal Adams, they go, they go, you know, have you been able to study a lot of film in your off week? And he said, nah, hell no. I went to Turks and Caicos. I shut it down. You know, I had my phone, but like I wasn't looking at anything football. And now I'm looking at these statistics and that's the new CBA. And, and I think about, okay, the Eagles just played on Thursday night and they've got like 10 days to prepare and they're still in full grind mode. And I'm hearing the starting safety, a team leader talking about, man, I haven't even looked at fucking film for a week. And I go, this is why this is happening. So I don't know if either of the situations this week I'm going to put on my card, taking advantage of the Niners off of the bye or the Jets with 13, mainly because they have Luke Falk. And I don't like betting on Luke Falk. But at the same time, going forward, when you're coming up with your bets and you go, this team's coming off a bye, they're going to be well-rested. Give it a little bit of thought and go, it's actually a disadvantage. It is not an advantage. And there are numbers to back it up. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but it, I don't know. That felt exciting to me because I, I think it's, it goes against the grain that so many people believe. Agree. And it's something that I haven't heard discussed publicly very often. And it's also something that's a little bit newer, right? Because the sample sizes are small. So a couple of years after the CBA, you're not really going to notice these obvious patterns. But now that we have year after year where it continues to happen, it's something to take into consideration. My thing is, too, is it's an interesting way of looking at a news event and using that as a tent pole as a dividing line, because if we didn't think about the CBA and we just compared 2005 to 2018, the numbers would be a mix. Yep. But understanding what legislation does to practice habits, travel, games, player rights, it is information that can be used in a financial way. And um, I think it, it's a real life way of looking at the NFL. When you guys see trends of teams that play well on grass uh, at, when, they're, when they're starting quarterbacks' initials uh, are RS, 
That's bullshit. This is the kind of stuff that you can actually use. Um, the That's one, why you have me here. Like, you know how I feel about you. You're a fucking psychopath and you, you bust your ass. And I'm, I'm very excited. The one thing that I think that I've been focusing on is the juiced favorites, line movements. So let's move to line movements. And the one thing that I saw heading into last week was when there was a team that was a favorite and at, in the look-ahead lines, and they played really well, and their opponent didn't, and their line grew even further, not including Miami games. They were 2-9 and nine against the spread. And I'm just keeping my attention on it. Now, those teams went 1-2 and two last week. Kansas City, their line got juiced up, didn't cover. Baltimore went from 3.5 to 6.5 over Cleveland, didn't cover. The only team that did was Seattle. Facing Arizona. So that's a one and two. So right now, teams that their lines got juiced up are now three and 11 against the spread. Unfortunately, this week, there's only two that have been juiced up. That's New England going from 13 to 15 and a half, taking on Washington and Philly, where I saw some look ahead lines where it was like seven. I think that was like maybe if San Darnold comes back, that's at 13 and a half. Um, but the big lines, are you. Like, I, I've been saying on the podcast, I think New England wins this game by 30. I think it's two decades in the making of, of Belichick building a franchise and Washington just being filled with ego. When, when you're advising people, 15 and a half, is it too much? Uh, I don't normally take favorites that are this large. It's, 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 it's because there's, you have to be right almost like 60 minutes of the game. Right. You, sometimes you can't afford to be wrong. That final backdoor cover where the Patriots are up by, you know, 24 points. And, yes. and you know, you have to start worrying about what's going to happen if the spread got a little bit higher. So think about this. If there's one team to have confidence that they'll play 60 minutes, it's the Patriots. And the analytics well, over the years back it up where since 2016, when the Patriots are favored by 10 or more points on the road, five and one against the spread. They've gone eight, uh, eight and two against the spread when favored by 14 or more points over the past five years. But even the Patriots didn't cover the spread against the Jets because of a punt issue uh, with Olszewski and Jamal Adams pick six. So this is the team that's most consistent when favored by double digits against this, uh, with, with the spread, and they still had a mess up this year. So that's why I'm, I'm, I just don't think I'm going to bet it this week. It's tough uh, when you've got a spread that, that that is that high and so much has to go right and you could have one play that screws the whole thing up. Now, that happens in betting all the time. All the one time. play is a major factor at times. But, um, you know, in this case, you really like it, it could you could overcome it in other cases, maybe. But in this case, it's going to be potentially difficult. Um, and, you know, New England is obviously a great team. But what is their motivation you know back in the 2007 season right that was when it was fun because they were making statements and, every and, single week and here they don't really they just want brady to get healthy i was going to say for clarity uh of their like five biggest spreads when they were favored by 15 and a half or more three of them were in 2007 yeah and that 2017 was, was special 2007 was just a fun season they were just dominating people that was randy moss that was the 16 and 0 right you know that was like the bookmaker even at the end of the year the lines caught up to them right they weren't covering the spreads at the end of the season but for so many weeks they were covering and covering covering and the lines got bigger and bigger and this team was just like if, if it was 27 to 3 at halftime they're like 
this game's halfway over. Let's put up 47 points. You right. know? And so they just kept trying to grow it. Now it's a little bit more Brady's old. We want to run the ball a little bit more. Like, let's play great defense. Let's, we, we don't have to go impress anybody, make points. Like, yeah. our goal is to get to the Super Bowl healthy. That was, a, that was a year where he said, I have Welker underneath. I have Randy Moss over the top, and I have Gronk. Let's see what we—I don't think they had Gronk yet. They're like, let's see what we can create. Right now, the Patriots are a defensive team. Um, just to wrap up, the other team that's the big favorite, the Eagles— just if you're thinking about the Eagles and you're going there playing Luke Falk, just one little trend to scare you a little bit. Eagles are 0 and 2 against the spread at home this season, and their last 12 home games, they're 3 and 9 against the spread. They're, they just have not been consistent at home. That's a big time spread against the Jets defense that I think is a little bit better than people think. Just scaring people a little bit. I don't want people to lose their money. It's it's appropriate. You know a lot about the Eagles. They're your team. Yeah. They just they can start slow, but okay. Um, now, one line that um, and really two lines where we're kind of waiting to see about the quarterback. Chicago right now, it, the line was originally minus six, and it came down to five and a half with Chase Daniel. Mm-hmm. Um, in a weird way, I I've been yelling all week that Chase Daniel's not better than Mitchell Trubisky. Like, please stop it. But from a betting perspective. I feel like it actually makes you a little bit more confident. I was not that happy when we were on Chase Daniel last year on Thanksgiving. Yeah. Right. He ultimately got us to the window, but I think they had to score 14 in the fourth quarter. Um, Chase Daniel is more familiar with this offense and Matt Nagy gives him more to do. Undoubtedly. But is he as skilled of a runner? No. One of the most hilarious clips I replay in my mind from the game last week is a defender is approaching him. And you know how an offensive player with the football tends to do a little toe tap, shake the shoulders, go around the guy. Right. You know, make him go that way, you go that way. Chase Daniels' upper body is just totally stiff. His feet are going tap, 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 tap. He's not moving anywhere, and the guy just crushes him. Yeah. Down, right? That's Chase Daniel. Okay. So he's not like Mitchell Trubisky from that perspective. Um, and I don't think his, like, he might be a little bit more accurate, but barely. Right. Like, it's, he's not just like a real big no. step up or upgrade over Mitchell Trubisky. He just can do a little bit more with the offense. But you're, if you're betting on the Bears in London, there are going to be passes where we're like, what the hell is yeah. this guy doing? This is not a. NFL quarterback throw right from a guy who's making a ton of money uh, like like he's done who's yeah, been the, in the league for the years. way I look at betting Chase Daniel is if it's a close spread and I believe the Bears are a more talented team I think Chase can get me there but if these spreads start to get really big and it requires the Bears to put up points on people that's when I lose confidence in Chase Daniel the one note I will say to everybody about London games I know that you guys remember when Blake Bortles who was incredible in London beat the uh, the Ravens for 44 to 7. That was really one of the last times that an underdog has beaten a favorite in London. Uh, favorites on a neutral field, I know you had this stat for me, are 20 and 7 against the spread, 74%. Also, favorites in London since that game have beaten underdogs by an average of 18.4 points per game. When you are the better team in London, you absolutely stomp people. And I think I even have some of the games here. I'm just going to go back in time. This is from this uh, from that game. So it was in 2017. Saints were the favorite. They beat the Dolphins 20 to nothing. 
Rams beat the Cardinals 33 to nothing. Vikings beat the Browns by 17. Patriots beat the Ravers, Raiders by 25. Seahawks beat the Raider the Raiders again by 24. Oh wow, the Raiders don't play well in London. That's interesting. Um and then the Eagles won by 6 and the Chargers won by uh 1, but if you look the average margin of victory is crazy. And and that's something we can bank on. That feels pretty consistent over the last few years. I, I agree. I think uh, it's also interesting to note, just from a London perspective, when the teams are going over there. You know, the Raiders played away from home last week and then went directly over to London. Right. Right. Remember, they had to send, uh, what's his name, back, Vontaze Perfect back. He had already flown over to London. Then the NFL suspended him the rest of the season, justifiably so, in my yes. opinion. Other teams tend to go over there as late as possible. Avoid all the distractions of what's going on in London. Yeah. Who cares? Like, let the league pump it up. You know, now that I think about it, Jacksonville, who I think has mastered this, they always seem to fly over the day before. Mm -hmm. And then I think about all of the media that I see coming out of London right now, and I'm seeing Raiders players going around the town, and I'm seeing Raiders players interacting with London fans. and, and And you think about, hey, guys, this might be an intellectual advantage. They're not over there being advocates and spokespeople. They're back learning right now. Just a little interesting tidbit. Uh, the only other uh, game that I think we're still kind of waiting on the line is, what is your philosophy about the Bills when it comes to the, like a Josh Allen versus a Matt Barkley? I think Josh Allen obviously is better right now than Matt Barkley. And this is one of those situations where I last week was different because you're in the middle of the game. You have no choice what to do. Right. Right. So you've got to press and you've got to go for it. If you're designing a game plan and you don't have Josh Allen, but you have Matt Barkley, that OC Brian Dable is going to design that game plan a little bit differently. Completely different. So that's the problem is like, it's going to be more conservative. Now, I mean, what is Josh Allen doing throwing all these interceptions, right? Unnecessary, ridiculous. So maybe you don't get that. And could it end up working in your favor? That's what they're going to hope. And so this is this is more of a wait and see for you then just to kind of see what. what yeah, I got to see if who, who's a quarterback for sure. That, But then also it's it's tough because we don't know what they're going to do with Barkley. We right. don't know what kind of offense it's going to be. The, the only trend that I'll kind of give to you is uh, I looked it up last 12 games at home uh, for Tennessee when they're playing a team with a winning record. They're nine, two and one against the spread. Um, Tennessee is Tennessee's a good defense, too. Tennessee can they, they got enough big boys up front to kind of slow it down, but I don't like betting on Tennessee games, and I really don't like betting on Atlanta games right now. They're just teams that I find them to change week to week, and from a betting perspective, I like teams that are consistent. Not just to bet on, but also bet against. Because mm-hmm. if you would have told me that A.J. Brown was going to, like, week one, A.J. Brown looked like Julio Jones. Week four, A.J. Brown looked like Julio Jones. Week two and three, A.J. Brown, like, barely even played. So when it comes to betting, like, I have loved betting Buffalo all year long, but this is more of an I'm an avoiding Tennessee and I don't know the quarterback. There's just so many things I don't know that I can't. And I, and I think a lot of people are going to bet Buffalo this weekend. Because they're going to go, look what they did to New England. And I'm going, who the fuck knows what we're going to see on Sunday? I just, I don't like the uncertainty, Warren. That's, I don't like it either, but that's the fun of this sport, right? Mm-hmm. Betting Explain is that sport. to me. Well, it's the reason why guys like me work our ass off year round studying the NFL so that we can understand 
coaching decisions a little bit more or be able to predict what could happen. So it's when just, somebody like me goes, there's too much uncertainty, I'm staying away from it. You go, let me dive into that uncertainty. And and they're, because they're so erratic, I might actually find some numbers that give me a huge advantage. Yes. Do you promise to call me on Saturday if you find an advantage in this game? I, I will definitely let you know. Well, we, we text all the time. So. Yeah. Um, okay, so... Let's focus then on the the lines that actually moved a lot that are maybe interesting. First one we're going to start off with is New Orleans, Tampa Bay. New Orleans, uh, I went and looked at the look-ahead line. They were favored by six and a half. The line now is down to three and a half, and I think it may have even moved down to three. Now, when I went back and looked at lines in which the favorite has shrunk, it's not enough, but the favorites right now are four and two against the spread, just from the look ahead lines to now, but that's not enough of a sample size for me to get excited. And was this sharp money? Is that is that what happened early on with this line? Yeah, this one was entirely sharp money. Um the New Orleans Saints, I we were on them, you know, two weeks ago in yes. the first half out in Seattle, but they had two non-offensive touchdowns in that game. And last week, I look at that game, and there's two big things that stand out to me. Number one, what the hell did Dallas do differently offensively? Why did they choose to get more conservative, to use less play action, to run more on first down? Because what they were doing the first three weeks was not their game plan week four against the Saints. Number two was if Ezekiel Elliott's elbow is actually down and that ball is not a fumble, the game's totally different. Completely. and I lo- I watched the review and it looked like his elbow was down and the you know, I was so- yelling about this bro because if you think about it they had four field goals and that that fumble led to a field goal at the end of the half and that's the difference between winning twelve to ten and losing ten to nine yes and and so I didn't understand that call but the the margins are so narrow and when I look at this matchup I'm looking at what the Saints are going to try to do what have they been doing with Bridgewater they're probably going to do the same type of thing. Runs and short passes, right? Runs and short passes. What is the extreme weakness of the Tampa Bay Bucks and the extreme strength? Their extreme weakness is deeper passes down the field. Their extreme strength is best defense in the NFL against runs and decent against short passes. And so it's a matchup where you're going to push Teddy Bridgewater's limits. If you're Sean Payton, you're going to try to get him to do a little bit more because – or you could go the conservative route and do what you've been doing, but you're probably not going to score that many points with that strategy. Then it's on to Jameis. And I think this game comes down to the offensive line of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Can they withstand the pass rush and the pressure from that New Orleans Saints front six? It's, they're because- so good. The Saints defensive line is so underrated. What's so funny is, is we've spent the last two decades marveling at Tom Brady and Drew Brees and the offenses and the offensive minds of McDaniels and Peyton. And you look at the Saints and the Patriots, and the best part of both of those teams right now is their defense. That's my fear about this game, is that the Saints' defense is going to be able to slow down Bruce Arians. But are you worried about that, or is your analytics telling you differently? Um, it's, it's definitely a big factor, you yeah. know, because if the best-case scenario is the Buc- if you are betting the Bucks, is the Bucks. Keep this game close, have a slight lead, don't have to press too much and do what they've been doing and have success offensively. Because the biggest, you know, Brett Favre, you know, double agent type deal 
in the entire NFL is Jameis Winston right now. His ability to, well, Josh Allen's sort of working his way up there, but Jameis Winston throwing those interceptions, making dumb decisions, that is a problem. And if you can prevent the need for him to pass the ball as much because you've got a small lead and you can be more precise and, and, and specific as to when you choose to pass and using play action and finding optimal matchups. I think it's going to be interesting. I also look at, you know, the teams that the Dallas Cowboys, uh, I'm sorry, the new Orleans saints have faced so far this year. And I look at some of the, um, you know, the defenses. Sure. What did you see? Well, I see some edges. I see some schedule matchups. We're going to talk about some of that at the end. Uh, let's do it now. I let, okay. Let's kind of wrap up this game. Like, what did you see uh, from the Saints' kind of perspective and from the Bucks' perspective from who they faced already this season? All right, let me pull it up here. <laughs> I just the one the one note I'll add too is uh, New Orleans is, with Drew Brees has been unbelievable in October. Since week five of 2015, they're 12 and one straight up in games in October. Um, but they've also had a lot of trouble with this Bucks team. When you look at the, this uh, this game last year, they lost 48 to 40 in week one. Uh, the year before, uh, this is again at home. They were able to cover, but it they 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 also went to Tampa Bay. And they've struggled there. It's it's the last two years, I feel like Tampa Bay has kind of had the New Orleans Saints number. They have. And what I noticed first and foremost is if you're looking at, you know, Tampa Bay's offense against the Saints defense, Tampa Bay has the number ten ranked offense, but they've gone up against the second most difficult schedule of defenses so far this season. So if you Carolina Carolina, San Francisco week one, the Rams last week, and the Giants, obviously one of the worst in the league, but uh it's it's been a treacherous schedule for them. And think about what they did in those games. I mean, Jameis does throw, I think, multiple two pick, pick sixes, sixes against the Niners. Against the Niners. And that's how the Niners scored thirty one points, but Tampa Bay put up seventeen. So you take away those fourteen points. Yeah. That's a game. Uh they go into Carolina on a short week, win there on the road as a dog. That's very difficult to do in the NFL. They should have beat the New York Giants. Right, they should have beat the New York Giants. They allowed That's two Daniel Dimes touchdown runs. They decided not to, the, the field goal decision with which Bruce Aarons does, and then they go out to L.A. where Jared Goff is better at home, withstand the tremendous passing day that Jared like Goff had, five hundred and fifteen yards, and and still come out a victor there. This is really a team that is very close to being four and zero. Not that not that many plays away from that. Look at the Saints. That's a team that's three and one. They came back from big-time deficit week one against the Houston Texans. You're Drew right. Brees rallied in that game. They ended up winning that game. They go to L.A. They lose that game. Now, Drew Brees gets yep, hurt in course. there, but they lose that game. They go to Seattle. We were on the Saints there, but they had two defensive or yep. return touchdowns in that game. They only win the game by six points. They had two special special teams and then the game in Dallas where that's a 12 to 10 game that game could have gone either way one play here or there I mean so like they could be a team that's 0 and 4 and if the Bucks are a team that's 4 and 0 3 and 1 heading into play Teddy Bridgewater and the Saints with a losing record that's a totally different narrative on this game so you have to look at everything in context I mean you could go down the schedule I'm not trying to say something that's make it more than it is you could go down the schedule well if this play and that play and this play then this team's undefeated in 16 to no you know I'm not trying to say that I'm just saying in this particular game 
there's I, th- I see the justification in the line dropping from what it opened at to where it is now because I think that there's some upside in the bucks. It's very funny. I literally did on the Monday podcast. I did what you just did was looking at the Tampa Bay schedule and going, is this team secretly making a run of the playoffs? And nobody wants to 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 admit it because Jameis threw two pick sixes in week one. And we have a tendency as football fans to be very persuaded by what we see early. And it's very hard for us to get things out of our head. And I think that the public wants Jameis to fail a lot. I think that they've taken a lot of excitement in how dumb he looked by eating the W. I think that that was dumb, though. They 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 look at <laughs> they look at his play and they go, he's erratic. He does dumb things, but they never look at when he throws for four touchdowns and 375 yards and go, that's why he went first overall. And I think there's this public perception of him. There's this public perception of Bruce Arians kind of being like, man, I just do what I do and I wear a Kangol hat. And they look at people like Shaq Barrett and they go, that's a flash in the pan. And, and really, they, they, they want to look at the Saints. And I also believe, I said on Monday that I think the Saints are the best team in the NFC. And I still believe that, even with everything that you just said, because they're not playing with Drew Brees right now. And they found a way to get those wins. And so I think two things can be true. I think the Bucks can be severely underrated and have a lot of value in this game. And I also think the Saints are the better team and will probably do better in the long run. And I think those two things can still exist. And you can have value in one game, but not have value over the entire season. 100% because it comes down to matchups. And in this game, the matchup with Bridgewater and the style that that offense is playing currently yes. without Drew Brees does not match up well against this Bucks defense. Could they still have success? Yes. That's why we love the NFL. Any freaking thing can happen on every given Sunday, and we don't know exactly yeah. if they're going to throw the ball deeper in this game. Will they have success or won't they? Will they Will they get Taysom Hill involved on some deep? Like, we don't know what's going to happen, but right. that's why we're going to tune in, and I agree with everything you just said. I, uh, I'm circling Tampa as a possibility of going into um, the Super Contest. Uh, by the way, I went 4-1 and one last week. Boom. 14-6 and six overall. Uh, and as Warren advised me last night, we're just we're going for three and two and fours and ones. We're trying to avoid twos and threes and ones and fours. Yep. And if we do that, it's like, hard. It's it's funny. I circle Tampa Bay and I feel really good about it right now. And then on Sunday, I'll watch Jameis throw a pick six and I'll go, and that's what I fucking get. Because that's that's the NFL. But but those things could happen. You hope that if you're betting on the Bucks the game is playing out such that he is not in the situation where he would need to do that. But you're right. I mean, you, you see those, you see those saints getting those turnovers, running the whole defense down the field, posing for pictures in the end zone. It's something that gets fixated in your brain. And you hope that one bad mistake from Jameis doesn't start to snowball into two to three, because then you're totally screwed. Uh, One game, the other game that moved a lot uh, in terms of the spread was Kansas city went from an eight and a half point favorite to Indy to an 11.1, but I'm, I say we're, we're going to talk about that in the next segment because that is the Sunday night game. So let's move to the three biggest games of the week, uh, and we're going to focus on one of the 1 o'clock games of the frickin' 10 that are there, uh, the 4 o'clock game that is going to get the most attention, and the Sunday night football game. And the 1 o'clock game that we're going to focus on is the Ravens-Steelers. Would you say when you're wagering that you find teams that you kind of get a read on and you try and bet them throughout the season because you really have a good grasp of them. Do you find yourself doing that? Sometimes, yeah. You'll go with a certain team 
uh, for a few straight weeks because you feel like they're being undervalued. Because that's what I think our relationship is right now with the Ravens, where every week we're looking at the Ravens and uh, you've been all over other teams' abilities to really maximize their inefficiencies of defending three or more wide receivers. And so Ravens-Steelers, Ravens are 2-2, two and two, coming off a drubbing at the hands of Cleveland. I wrote it down in my book, find a way to bet on Baltimore this week. And the reason is, is I love when a really good team has one bad game and everybody jumps off the bandwagon. People were tweeting at me, Warren, are you finally going to stop saying the Ravens are good? And I said, no, I'm actually doubling down because I watched that game and I saw the fact that it was 10 to 10 in the third quarter. And I saw the Mark Ingram fumble that let the Browns score two quick touchdowns. And when the, when the Ravens are down 24 to 10, that's a different Ravens team than when they're 13 to 13 or 16 to 13. And then I watched the Steelers game and I'm going, oh my God, that's who the Ravens are playing next week. And they're playing Zach Taylor and the dumbass Cincinnati Bengals who are down three possessions and running out the clock. And I'm going, this is setting up perfectly. Maybe an overinflated Steelers team and an undervalued Ravens team. And what you saw in that game from the Steelers and the Bengals may be coaching malpractice by what they're doing right now to Mason Rudolph, excuse me, what they're not doing right now with Mason Rudolph to prepare him. What did you see that you thought was poor coaching from the Steelers? The Steelers decided instead of using the week after the 49ers game to better prepare Mason Rudolph for the rest of the season. He's not a one-week fill-in. He's your quarterback now. Instead of preparing him to do what it takes to win in the NFL, which is to maximize the rules and the leverage, which is throwing the football down the field. Instead of working on his ability to do that, they spent the entire week with gimmick wildcat crap. And And so everybody is praising Jalen Samuels and how creative the offense is. And you're like, you're taking the ball out of Mason Rudolph's hands. You want to get this guy ready to throw the football down the field. That's how you're going to win if you're going to win. You are not going to continue to win games doing tap passes from running backs. I mean, that might have caught Zach Taylor's team off guard, right? But it's not going to catch the Baltimore Ravens off guard. And I got a couple takes on this game. But the first and foremost when it comes to the Pittsburgh Steelers is what exactly do you think you're going to do and surprise the Baltimore Ravens with this style of offense? Because this is what the Baltimore Ravens practice against every single week since the summer with Lamar Jackson. It is, a rush, it is a rushing offense. It is an offense uh, the, of the Ravens that lines guys up, uses motion, tosses the ball to people, read options, and that's exactly what the Steelers think they're being so clever with doing, and that's not going to work against the Baltimore Ravens. Will they try to change it up and do something different? I don't know. The goal needs to be spread out the Baltimore Ravens defense and let Mason Rudolph throw the football, but will they do that? I think across the board of many teams out there, the Pittsburgh Steelers are a team that ignores analytics the most, does what they want to do, tries to trust their talent. Our talent is always better. Our talent's going to overcome. And the problem is your talent has been severely depleted. You don't have a B anymore. Say what you want about him. He was super talented when he was playing. You don't have Le'Veon Bell anymore. James Conner's good too. Yeah, but is he quite as talented? I'd rather have Le'Veon and James than James and Jalen. Okay. You don't have Ben Roethlisberger. 
you know, now Juju is your number one as opposed to your number two. All of these different Mason factors. Rudolph's touchdowns were a dump off to Jalen to James Conner and a wide open throw. Was it Deontay Johnson? Yes, down the left. Just wide open. That, and how did he he caught the ball like he was fighting against somebody tugging it in? He like jumped up and like wrestled the ball yeah, out of the air. Like, yeah, just catch the ball, buddy. But you're but you're seeing right now a team that is not supporting analytics, not preparing their quarterback to go forward, and this this offense that is about you know change of pace and a, and a lot of different formations. They're going up against a team that might be the most prepared to face it of any team in the NFL. A hundred percent. What is one of the big issues with the Baltimore Ravens right now that John Harbaugh was very upset with? His pass rush. Our pass rush isn't getting there. What do you do when you line up a running back in the backfield and he's tip passing it to different other guys? You don't need to freaking pass rush. It's a run, right? So you're not attacking the weakness of the Baltimore Ravens defense, which is they don't have many good DBs right now because they're banged up and their pass rush is weak because of offseason losses. And instead, you want to go run heavy. So I don't know what they're going to do. And this yeah. is where it's hard. We're handicapping the coaches. What do we think is going to happen? But if they use that game plan that they utilized last week, I would be shocked if it worked as successfully in this particular game. And and like you said, when you believe that a team isn't using analytics, it's actually easier to bet that they're going to continue to do what they do because right. they're not going to see where to change. Um, also, the one thing I'll say is, is, the Steelers were able to get such a good pass rush because they were playing Andre Smith, who is his name Brandon Thoburn. Is that the guy that does a lot of the offensive line, defensive line breakdowns? He does it for like a step. Thorn. Thorn, excuse me. I believe he said in one of his articles that Andre Smith might be the worst player at his position in the NFL, which when people in the analytics community take a take like that, I love it so much. But also like... Andy Dalton, the frustration on his face on Monday night, the amount of times that he got sacked and threw the ball into the dirt. And in my mind, he just looked like a guy that had completely given up. He had no opportunity. And then I go, and the same guy that focuses on offensive line, Brandon, says that of all the left tackles in the NFL, right now, Ronnie Stanley from the Ravens is performing at the highest caliber. JJ TJ Watt, and and the and Bud Dupree are not going to have a lot of success getting a pressure on Lamar Jackson. And even if they do, he ain't fucking Andy Dalton. He ain't going down right away. And we've seen when teams have time against the Steelers defense, they tear it up. They just didn't have time with the Bengals. That's why all of our expectations of the overs, their play calling sucked and their talent on the offensive line sucked. And those are not the issues for the Baltimore Ravens offense at all. No, and let's not pretend, though, that Andy Dalton was good even when he had time. Of course. He was, he was a disaster, as he typically is in prime time, et cetera. But when we talk about the Baltimore Ravens and we talk about what their offense is going to look like and we say, well, why does this offense look different now? The answer is simple. When they fall behind in games— they end up having to use more spread themselves. They pass more out of 11 personnel. So if you look on the season, their average success rate from 11 was a 45% success rate passing, and they only averaged 6.6 yards per attempt prior to this game. But they only pass from 11 58% of the time. They're mainly using 12 and 21 Mm -hmm. and, and different formations, heavier sets. When you are trailing... You have to put more wide receivers. You on put the more field. wide receivers on number one, and number two, the defense isn't really caring if you're going to run the football. I'm writing down in-game betting Baltimore. If Baltimore goes down early and the game flow changes, they're going to be in trouble. 
But if they get a nice little head of steam and they're able to use multiple tight ends, watch out. I looked it up uh, in the last five games at Pittsburgh, including a playoff game. The Ravens are 5-0 and against the spread. Putting that out there. We've got to move on. Uh, I'm talking too much. Packers at Cowboys is the 4 o'clock game. Both teams are 3-1. and one. Dallas plays against New Orleans. Uh, unable to get that offense going. We're going, what the hell happened, Kellen Moore? The Packers, Thursday night football, were able to really throw all over the Eagles, but they got run all over. The big injury here, Tyron Smith not going to play for Dallas. What sticks out to you in this matchup? What is going to occur with Kellen Moore? Why it, Why did he utilize an inefficient game plan? Was some of it Jason Garrett's influence? Because what we saw seemed that. like Jason Garrett's influence. Let's run the ball more on first down. Let's use less play action. I am hoping that Jason Garrett is one of those people, because I know that he's obsessed with Shashevsky that lets his assistants do their job. My fear is that that was the first real defense that Kellen Moore has faced on a primetime game, and he got real tight. That, that's what I'm hoping it is and thinking it is, but like you said, we don't know. No, we don't. And the other issue on the other side of the ball, well, then you got the Tyron Smith factor in that as well and they didn't do well without Tyron Smith out there on the field in previous seasons so that's going to be a challenge they do get Michael Gallup back that's going to be a big boost on the other side of the ball the Green Bay Packers don't have Devontae Adams that's a big loss right I'm pretty positive that he's not going to play this week I don't know if it's 100% confirmed we'll we'll watch the injury report and the Green Bay Packers you look at their scoring by quarter first quarter 28 points second quarter 33 points Third quarter, 14. Fourth quarter, 6. That's over the entire sum of all quarters this entire season. They have really good scripting, and they do well offensively in the first half. They make terrible adjustments in the second half. It's impossible that it's just their opponents that are just so great at making defensive adjustments at halftime that every single game these defenses are shutting this offense down. I think it's from a coaching perspective and a play calling perspective. They need to, this Dallas Cowboys team can put up points if they play efficient football. Right. You can't do well in the first half and then go into a turtle shell in the second half if you're Green Bay, but that's what they've been doing. This and I year. feel like both of these teams kind of do that. I feel like both of these teams can establish leads in the first half and then both get very conservative in the second half. And I, don't, I don't know if it's out of fear, out of bad play calling. Is that something we can take advantage of at all? Um, we could we we need to ana- analyze it and incorporate into what we're looking at. But I don't know in this particular case that there's a specific advantage to be had from that. It's these coordinators are both new, both in their first year. Um, they have very talented quarterbacks, and they have good receivers out there on the field. They should be trying to stay aggressive offensively. Um, but 46 and a half seems a little high to me for these new coordinators facing, like I went and looked at the strength of schedule, green Bay. Um, it's like the Dallas offense in terms of defenses they faced against the pass. It is a 22, drop in terms of strength of schedule, in terms of how much harder it's going to get for this Dallas passing offense. And the one thing that Dallas can do that Green Bay has shown is Green Bay is a run funnel team. 
They're able to take away the pass with Jair Alexander and all their safeties and all that. But what the Eagles were able to do was to pound the rock. The fear I have is what you talked about earlier is Green Bay's run defense is susceptible to 12 and Dallas doesn't run 12. So we'll see what happens there. Yeah. Um, the Sunday night game. This is the game where I said the line moved from 8.5 to 11. Uh, the Colts are now 11-point underdogs at Kansas City. How much of betting this game is going to determine is going to be riding on Dar- the health of Darius Leonard and, and, and injuries to the Colts? The Colts have two part. They're both starting safeties potentially will not play. Wow. Against the Kansas City freaking Chiefs. And their middle linebacker, right? One of the best And in the their league. best wide receiver. So if we look at the defensive side of the ball for the Indianapolis Colts, you're going up against a team that's very creative with passing to their tight ends and to their running backs. Like, your DBs are important. They're always going to be important. But against an Andy Reid-led team, the strength of your safeties and the strength of your linebackers in coverage for yeah. running backs is maximized. And that's really why Detroit had success because Justin Coleman was able to be such a phenomenal slot corner and take away a lot of those middle routes in the middle of the field. Right. And then on the other side of the football, when you don't have T.Y. Hilton, what did the Oakland Raiders do against this team last week? Load up that box, baby. Load it up, force sit on every reset to throw it over the top to guys who aren't capable of beating one-on-one coverage down the field. And And we already know that T.Y. Hilton's splits outside of a dome are awful. So even if he does play, he's not dome T.Y. Hilton. No. Damn, because I'm not going to lie, man. Do you know how many people in this office came up to me and said 11's too much for the the Colts? That's that's too big of a line for a team like the Colts. Prime time against Patrick Mahomes could get really dangerous. It, it, the Colts are a totally different team because how did Detroit have success last week? We knew they could run the football. We know Kansas City defense struggles to stop the run. So Detroit was able to run the football, control the game a little bit, use some of the passing over the top down the field. They've got good wide receivers. They've got a quarterback who could throw the deep ball, and they had success with that. What does this Indianapolis Colts offense not have right now? This offense in general is a much more condensed ball control passing offense that will run when they can, but they're not going to run as much as Detroit does. And when you don't have a guy to take the lid off, the defense can come up and play the run a little bit more frequently and have more consistent results. So I'm not, I'm not suggesting a move one way or another. I haven't right, done right. anything with this game, but that's the, that's the game. view you need to have if you're saying – the Colts plus 11 seems so good to be true. I also want to say that if you're a better and you're saying out loud, this seems like too many points, don't fucking take that side. Like you've always said, if you don't think this team can win the game outright, the points don't fucking matter. You do not bet an underdog unless you believe they can win the game outright. And there is a game flow possibility that is absolute anarchy for the Colts. Chiefs go up 7 nothing. And you can sit at home and go, I can see that happening. And then the Colts go three and out, and the Chiefs score again. I mean, this might get really imba- – how are the Colts going to come back? How, how are they going to come back? Without T.Y., yeah. You could talk about trouble. that offensive line all you want. Who are the weapons to get you back? It ain't Naheem Hines. You know, it ain't Jack Doyle. So you need a perfect game flow for the Colts to really be hanging in this game. Because Patrick Mahomes will do whatever he wants. Okay. I don't think I'm going to – I don't know. Oh, that's a really good one. Okay. Is there – are there any other games that have really caught your eye? 
uh, in terms of spreads? I know there was one out west that you were kind of wanting to talk about a little bit that kind of got you excited. Yeah, let's talk about uh, the 4 o'clock game where the Denver Broncos are going to be taking on the Oh, so the, the non-Packers uh, Cowboys game. Yeah, the game that like the NFL wants us to focus on. Let's not focus on that one. Let's focus on the other one because there might be a little bit of value. Don't be distracted by the man behind the curtain. Exactly. Okay, so, so Denver, right now, what is the line on that game? Well, um, you what could get seven. Uh, now it's... There's a bunch of sixes popping into the market, but there's still some six and a halfs. And I believe at the Westgate for the Super Contest, it's six and a half. Right. Okay. So I look at the Denver Broncos, and I don't like Joe Flacco. I don't like that guy as a quarterback. I mean, I thought he got he timed it perfectly, made a bunch of money on that contract. Has never lived up to it. Right, and has never lived up to that. Was a mistake and caused the. Baltimore Ravens to really fall back when you're paying a quarterback that much money and he's not doing anything for you, then you're going to be in, a, in trouble. I feel like the there's salary a cap coming. But so far this season, he's actually done better than his numbers for much of his career. He's got a career high completion rate, career high. He's got a, his yards per attempt highest since 2010, his pass rating highest, uh, touchdown rate highest, and interception rate the best, all of those since 2014, right? So the last four or five years, he's doing really well. And he's faced one of the most difficult schedules of opposing defenses, eighth toughest schedule of opposing defenses so far this year. Um, Jacksonville, Green Bay, Chicago, Chicago, and then Oakland that first week, Oakland, the first week, which was, you know, but but, but Green Bay, Chicago, Jacksonville, that's like the hardest three game slate in the league this year. It's brutal. Now, Jalen Ramsey wasn't there. Two of them were on the road. Two of them were on the road. Very difficult places to play. Very difficult opponents. One of them was on the road. Sorry. Okay. You throw me off with that, that. That was my bad. I apologize. The one game was in Green Bay, and then Chicago and Jacksonville both went to Denver. Right. And in this game, this is the easiest pass defense that Joe Flacco will face this season. Wow. So the Chargers right now are in disarray in their secondary. Do you know what Josh Rosen did to this defense? I did see the clip of him throwing a touchdown to P.J. Williams, but I did not focus on the game. What did he do? In this game against... Uh, against this Chargers defense. Josh Rosen, in the first half, he completed, I want to say, 12 of 16 passes, 9.9 yards per pass attempt, and like a, a, a 106 passer rating, something like that. He was a, remarkable in the first half. Now, the second half caught up to him. Obviously, we know the Dolphins don't have a lot of talent there, but he was moving the ball up and down the field. And as I'm looking at this Chargers defense, um, what do we need to have happen here if we're going to back the Denver Broncos? We need to be able to take some pressure off of Joe Flacco by running the football. That's step one. When you go on the road, we need a run game to come with us. Can they run the ball here? And the answer is yes. The L.A. Chargers struggle to stop the run specifically from 11 personnel. Oh, that's not good. When Denver runs the ball from 11 personnel, which they do above a league average rate, they're averaging a 62% success rate, gain four and a half yards per carry. Mm. What do the Chargers allow? 211, 62% success rate, and a 40, which is well worse than the 48% league average. And when I think about the Chargers this year, you know what I think about? Tight ends and running backs having a lot of success. I think about week one, I think about Marlon Mack. I think about uh, some of the other. I think about last week. Kenyon Drake had a very nice game against them last week. And I think about Philip Lindsay. And I think about some of the plays I've seen out of Noah Fant and Hireman. They have that personnel. So you're you're feeling something here, aren't you? 
Well, you know, I think that the Denver Broncos have a good shot offensively. They've done well. The Green Bay Packers were a team that was similarly weak against the run. And the Philip Lindsay killed them. They went for like 160 yards on the ground in that game, had a pretty good success rate. Uh, they were down three in turnover margin, and Joe Flacco got sacked six times. So the number one thing you got to be able to do with Joe Flacco, let's get a run game going. Number two, all these pressures and sacks and hits, we got to be able to do a better job on the offensive line. Well, they got Juwan James, one of their tackles. He missed the game last week. He's coming back this week. Is he really? He's practicing on limited basis. That's a good sign because he didn't practice at all last week. Number two, look who's the Chargers going to be missing. Ingram. Oh my! He's probably out for this game. He is out. I know he's out. Okay, so you don't have Ingram. Your secondary has cluster injuries. And you can't stop the run, even with Ingram there, who's a really good edge rusher. And in a league where home field advantage doesn't matter, you have the least amount of home field advantage playing in L.A. Yes, yes, absolutely. And so all of those things work in the favor of the Broncos offense here a little bit in a game where... They had it sewn up last week against the Jacksonville Jaguars until, 17 to three. until Jacksonville saw something on film or saw an injury to Chubb, who's going to be missed in this game, of yes. course, and started to run the ball more out of 12 personnel. And they just were battering down. That's where Leonard Fournette got all of his big runs. They had a 71% success rate, average like over 10 yards per carry running out of 12. But the Chargers don't really run out of 12 very much at all. Mm. And the, if you look at the Chargers' health, they probably are going to enter this game from a wide receiver perspective healthier than where they were last week because they do have Mike Williams practicing on a limited basis and they do have uh, Benjamin practicing on a limited basis. Both those guys didn't practice at all last week and missed the game against the Miami Dolphins. That being said, they are not at 100%. It's still to be determined if they will or won't practice. And the leading target guy um, last week for the uh, Chargers... He just got put on IR. What the the wide what's the wide receiver's name? He just got put on IR. Uh, it's escaping my oh um Inman. Don oh Dontrell Inman, Inman. Got, just got put on IR. Okay, right now the three healthy wide receivers on their roster who are practicing in full: Keenan Allen, Jeremy Davis, and Andre Patton. Those are their three wide receivers, and they use. Did you make that last name up? I almost. <laughs> I, I I had to look up the guys who are on here. Those guys are their starting three. They run a lot of 11 personnel, and they're without Hunter Henry as well, right? And you know they have what? a bad offensive line. And you know what franchise probably uses less analytics than the Pittsburgh Steelers? Yeah. The Los Angeles Chargers. Yeah, the Chargers, I mean, that's been a struggle for them. I think they're getting a little bit better, but it's still uh, not up to par of where it needs to be. Uh, the Broncos got back Kareem Jackson. I think he's going to play this week. He missed last week. He's a cornerback. Juwan James hopefully will play for them as well. Um, and then... Last but not least, Keenan Allen is going to be probably shadowed by Chris Harris. When Chris Harris has locked up Keenan Allen the last three games that they've played. Really? This is what Keenan Allen's done. One catch for five yards and a touchdown. Two catches for 22 yards and no touchdowns. And six catches for 69 yards and a touchdown. You know what's so funny from like a football player perspective? Keenan Allen's greatest ability is quick movements and, and short bursts. And that's what Chris Harris is special is. He's not a long strider. Everything is short. Everything is compact. He was, for a few years, the best slot quarter in the NFL. Mm -hmm. And you just think from a matchup perspective, Chris Harris is just like underneath Keenan Allen. 
visually, physically, it all matches up. Oh, these guys have a little rivalry. I mean, this is these are division rivals. This is division rivals, and, and I love betting on underdogs in divisional rival games. Right. So uh, anything could happen. You're bank. You're betting on Joe Flacco if you're taking the Denver Broncos, right? Ah! You're betting on Joe Flacco. But guess what else could happen? I'm about to put, uh, say it. What? Joe Flacco could go in to L.A. and finally win a game, and it just might happen. I mean, you got me betting on fucking Joe Flacco and Jameis Winston this week. This is sick. I love it. All right, so I'm going to – that was awesome. You literally convinced me on that one. Um, here are the, the leans I'm going with. I'm going to take your Denver and your Tampa Bay. Those are going to be two of mine, plus 6.5, plus 3.5. I love the Ravens minus 3. I like the Bears minus 5.5 uh, going into London. And then my fifth game is one that I'm going to watch all my injury reports. I like the Vikings against the Giants. I just saw that Saquon might try and play this week. I don't know why. No, it's don't insane. I don't need it. And also the Vikings. I also see Stefan Diggs secretly wanting a trade, so I might stay away from that one. Packers plus three and a half is interesting. Browns plus three and a half because of what we were talking about with the Niners is very interesting. And the only other one I'm looking at is Panthers minus three and a half. Kyle Allen's first home game this year. He's 2-0. and Both of those games have been on the road. And I look at Jacksonville and I go, okay, you know, they beat Tennessee at home on Thursday night. Great. And, and okay, Leonard Fournette had 200 and whatever yards against Denver last week. But the offense hasn't looked that great. And Carolina's pass defense is unbelievable. So that's probably what I'm going to circle right now. I'm just going to pay attention to the injury reports. But those feel clean to me. Feel really clean. I'm just, you know, I'm worried about being, betting on Jameis and, and Joe Flacco. Well, you're also betting on Lamar on the road. You're also betting on um, Chase, Chase Daniels, Daniels. in London. So you've got you've got a lot of uh, kind of and Kyle Allen. Yeah, Fuck. so a lot of a lot of inexperienced quarterbacks. But th- to be honest with you, that's the frustrating part of this whole board. Uh, the frustrating part is a lot of inexperienced quarterbacks. In these games. Yes. And we talked about it before. It's not just that they're inexperienced, but then it's what are the coaches going to do? Are they going to put him in advantageous situations? That's one of the things that I like about what the Turners are doing in Carolina with Kyle Allen, because they're putting him in more advantageous situations to be able to pass efficiently and building the offense around his strengths. They're not saying don't throw the ball. We'll just be conservative. He needs to work on his ball security. He needs to work on his awareness. Yes. But. As a passer, he's doing a great job of executing the offense that they've got, better than some of these other guys are doing. Um, I don't, I don't dislike your card, and I do like the Carolina Panthers in that spot. Okay, um, I have had a few people DM me saying, "Hey, I know that Warren gave out a coupon code last week for Sharp Football Analysis. Is it still good?" I'm just going to ask you to your faces: Is it still good? Uh, the, the the code is Sharp Ten. Okay. Sharp 10. Okay. And you'll get a discount on everything that we have up at sharpfootballanalysis.com. Fantasy, sports betting, props. We got a lot of props going this week. Yeah, and what I'll say to you guys is uh, what I do on Saturday and Sunday morning, I go there, I click on dashboard, and I do two things. I look at the bets that Warren feels confident enough to put out to his people. And the thing that I appreciate about Warren is you don't pick every game. You know, you pick like the five things that you're most confident about. Two might be two unders. One might be an over. One might be a side. Like you might only pick one team in terms of a side bet, but that's when I hit up my guys and I go, hey, Warren's all in on this. But the thing that I appreciate about your site a lot is if you do use Sharp 10 and, and subscribe is it's not just the pick. 
Then I get to click on it and read the 18 paragraphs about how Kyle Shanahan against Pittsburgh was the only dude in like the last decade to score over 30 points. And then, you know, it, and it made a lot of sense for that. But um, there's there's really good write-ups. So you go there, Sharp 10, you get a discount. What is it, 10% off everything? 10% off everything. And that's coming up here. One of the f- coolest things that I love doing, and that's why I, we dive into games with you and go over the things the same exact way. I love sharing my logic about why I'm backing something because bets win and lose all the time. Yes. A pick six, a fumble, what what have you. It's the process that really matters. It's understanding why do I like this and sharing that with people in detailed write-ups. And so uh, I'm up talking to you until 2 a.m. last night, sleep till 4.15, wake up call, get ready to take the train up here. And I'm on the train, two cups of coffee deep in there, cranking up for two hours, writing up one of the games that I'm sending out. So I absolutely love sharing that analysis. And anybody that has ever put money on a game the greatest feeling is going, wow, this game flow is going exactly as I thought it would be. Now, could you get backdoored? Absolutely. Could could Chase Daniel throw a pick and like it fucks up everything or and, and it gives it bad field position? Absolutely. But when the game is going like you think it's going to go, that's why we talk like this. Because then you sit there on Sunday and you go, not only do I understand it from a football schematic, but from an analytic, and then also just from an understanding game flow perspective, the right side doesn't always win, but you want to be there because it feels so much better. Yeah, if you get line value and then stuff starts going your way, oh, you know that you're in a, what a Sunday. You have done your job. You can't do no. the job of the players. You can't do the job of the coaches. But you have done your job as a sports better because you've put yourself in this situation to make money on this game. And that's what it's all about. It's about putting yourself in those situations, putting the work in so that you are in those positions. And that's why we like to talk about our losses, too because you can learn from your losses. Uh, Let's give Crack a call. Uh, Let me uh, enter in my proxy bets, uh, and uh, we'll see if he has any other picks that he'd like to make. Okay, so we're going to call him. Um, This went from a card that I didn't really feel confident about, and then you gave me two little nuggets, and now I feel pretty confident. I still don't like the card overall, but um, there's a couple spots of value. Hey, Crack-a-Dack, what up, brother? Hey, what's up, guys? What's going on? Just chilling, just kicking it, crack. It's great to talk to you because you are uh, doing better than anyone I personally know in the Westgate Super Contest. Just to let you know, fourteen and six. Uh, your guy Esposito texted me and he says, "I guess you're not lucky. You're actually pretty good at this." I'm trying. I'm, I believe in superstition, man. So I'm trying not to jinx myself. No, you're 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 doing. You're you're well ahead of even. The dozen sharp guys I know, you have a better record than all of us. So uh, congrats on that. And hopefully going forward, you can continue that. When I see these two guys that are 19-1 and one and 18 guys that are 18-2, and two, it, it just <sighs> blows my mind, though. Oh. Psychopaths. Uh, before we get into a little bit of betting advice, I know that you have a strategy in terms of concert tickets. Uh, and I know that someone may have given you the tickets to Aerosmith, but like... I kind of like your strategy for getting like two feet from the stage. Do you want to share that or would that ruin your little, your little thing here? Well, listen, it's all about who you know. And Vegas is still a town where you fold up hundred dollar bills and you hand it to people. Hopefully you get a better sheet sometimes. So um, this particular concert, I, I didn't, but I mean, that, it, it's all about that. When you go to a show, 
first of all, you should always buy contract tickets last day because last day the scalpers and the brokers, they freak out. Oh, my God, they're going to get stuck with first-row seats or, or even second- or, or first-tier seats, which are much more expensive face value. So I always wait to that day, and it's, it's always good to show up with $1,000 cash and put it in their face. Do you want to get rid of these two Lady Gaga seats in the third row for 1000 bucks, or you want to – Hope someone else is going to buy them off you. And, and, and it works a lot. I mean, I've gotten first row to the Rolling Stones for face value. And, and if not a little bit, maybe a little bit, a couple dollars more. But if when I was you to told get me this, earlier, it would be I'm, double or triple the price. Crack, what's so what's funny that? is I'm the guy that would buy concert tickets six months in advance. And when you told me sure. that, I was like, I'm an idiot. I'm only going to buy day of. Yeah, so no, I, you don't, don't just uh, get betting advice. You get concert advice. Uh, here are the yes. five that I'm going to go with. Uh, uh, as of right now, again, I will uh, text you if I change, but I feel pretty good. Um, Ravens minus three at Pittsburgh. Bears minus five and a half. Okay, okay. I couldn't hear you. I'm sorry. I couldn't hear you with the first one. Went in and out. Say it again. Uh, Ravens minus three at Pittsburgh. Bears Uh, minus five and a half in London. I'll let you talk about those two. Yep. Well, the Bears, neither one of those teams want to be there. So, um, yeah, I I have no problem with you going with it. Listen, Oakland looked really good last week after the travel. Chicago, I know they won that game. Um, neither team probably wants to be there. Uh, I have no opinion on that game, but I'm going to be rooting for you. And Thank you said you. Baltimore? Yep, Baltimore, Baltimore minus three. Well, Pittsburgh got their uh, – I think they got their, that was their first win last week. And uh, I like betting against teams after they win, Crack. It's my, it's my drug. It, I haven't looked. Is the line Baltimore minus three? Yep, it came down to three. I don't I'm have to worry to about that half a point. Because it's three and a half here at some spots. Minus three, minus 20 is the best line I see. So uh, just mathematically, uh, Baltimore over Pittsburgh there, and, and Baltimore is coming off of a, a terrible loss uh, to Cleveland. They they probably want to re- Man, do we just lose crack? All right, so we lost crack. Uh, we don't know what's going on with the phone. Uh, as I already said, though, I like Denver plus six and a half, Tampa Bay plus three and a half, pa- uh, Panthers minus three and a half. Uh, just a shout out for crack. He does have the crack wins app. He has his picks. He has tips. He has strategies. Um, and crack's a good fucking guy. And he just gave you some concert advice. Uh, I feel like we taught a lot of people about buys. Uh, that is something that I'm going to be paying attention to for the next few weeks. Uh, teams coming off of buys and taking advantage of that. Uh, I think you had some incredible nuggets today about that game in the late slate, uh, the the New Orleans game, and then also we're gonna we're gonna keep watching these backup quarterbacks. Keep seeing if coaches are going to be very conservative. See if we can take advantage of some of these underplays. I know that it's been more unders than overs this year. Um, and then, as, as Warren Sharp said, Sharp 10. If you want to check out what he's going to do this week, if you want to kind of get a little sample and see what he's working with, Sharp 10, little discount code. Did we give the 33% what they needed this week, Mr. Sharp? I think we put in the work. We put in the homework to get this show as much actionable information as possible. Yeah. And I think we really nailed it. I really hope that they can learn from it because there's some stuff that you were sharing with those statistics and trends yeah. that I have not heard anybody else discuss. Yeah. And I'm, I'm hopeful that we'll start tracking it and see how it goes this season. Warren has all the answers. I just have a shitload of questions. Together, good shit comes from it. Uh, follow him online at Sharp Football, me at, at Adam Lefko. And let's just pause really quick for this beautiful sound of money. 
for Warren Sharp on the LEFKOE Man. And we will holler at you guys a little bit later. Peace out, guys.